Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Fastball Show brought to you by JohnTielli.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, as well as St. Alvarez's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Happy to announce we'll be with you probably every other day for the next series of days. We're with you Thursday. We talked, obviously, a lot about the cheating scandal involving the Houston Astros and who's to blame. And we always like we live in a society where, where we feel so happy. We feel so um, enamored when one person is taking a fall for everybody. There's a fall guy. Remember Chris Carter, you got to have a fall guy. And it looks like in this situation, it's going to be Alex Cora or Carlos Beltran, maybe both of them. The players of the Houston Astros get out of here scot-free, which I can't just I can't get off my chest how disgusting that is, how much it bothers me, and how these other players on the Houston Astros team need to be held accountable for what they did. I'll make a comparison to something that happened before in baseball history to explain why every player that played on that 2017 Houston Astros team needs to be held accountable. We'll be with you Monday, probably a little bit of a Super Bowl preview. I bet you we'll be previewing Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers. Um, Actually, we'll prefer to see a Green Bay, Tennessee Super Bowl, but we're not going to see that. It's going to be Kansas City. It's going to be San Francisco. And if for some reason it's not, I'll play this back and mock myself out. But we'll probably talk about that Monday. Another show we'll do Wednesday. So Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, every other day, four out of seven days. And then we're going to take about a week off until the end of the week before the Super Bowl. But I was thinking about this the other day. It was kind of a little piggyback off of what I was saying, you know, about cheating in baseball. And we make, like, baseball is so pure. We make, like, baseball is, it's got so much sanctity and just means so much and is a goody two-shoes sport. And God forbid anybody gets in the way of our pure, sanctifying sport, we, we, we want to disparage them. We want to look at them as the worst people in the world. God forbid they tarnish our game. Now, if you go back to the 19th century, the late 1800s, the formation of baseball. Baseball was a sport that was kind of started from outlaws, from people that didn't want to work. We call those people unemployed today. If you think of the average salary or the average payment of how much a baseball player in the 19th century would make, it really wasn't very much. It wasn't enough to make a living. So those that played We like to misconstrue as having this passion to want to play this child's game. Well, the reason they played that child's game was to get away from the regular vigors of what it was like to be a man, what it was like to be a worker at that time. You decided you didn't want to work for the railroad. You didn't want to work for a construction company. You didn't want to be an electrician. You didn't want to work on the farm like every other man, every other leader of a household at that time. And what did you choose to do? 
You chose to play a game. Now, that game was never able to compensate you very much, which is understandable why it tracked deviants. It tracked people that were borderline criminals. Look up guys like Old Haas Radborn and Terry Larkin and Ed Delahanty and Jack Glasscock and John Clarkson. Good players in the 19th century in Major League Baseball, but probably were not good people. So we're talking about a sport that started and was started by people that were not good people. So they played baseball. The game was controlled by gamblers from its inception until the 1919 Black Sox. And Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who, quote-unquote, saves the game. But the guy's a devout racist. He did everything he could till the day he died in 1944 to keep blacks out of Major League Baseball. Blacks were abolished from the sport. There was a gentleman's agreement. They were not allowed to play with white players. For what, 70, 80 years? And that's Okay. But once again, we can talk about how pure baseball is. We can talk about the sanctity of Major League Baseball. It's not. So outside of the racism, we got gamesmanship that could be borderlined on cheating, talking about the spitball, doing everything you can to maneuver the baseball, to make it do things that it shouldn't, deceive the opposition, sign stealing that existed for years. But we want to talk about baseball and its purity and the sanctity of Major League Baseball. There was never any sanctity. Defeat your competitor at all cost, which includes doing things to your body and taking chemicals that are probably illegal. But we don't want to admit that they're illegal. We all know that they're illegal. The use of amphetamines, the use of steroids, amphetamines, not even properly prescribed by doctors. Steroids, you know, were sold on the black market. Gambling on baseball, which you know has existed since 1919. And once again, you want to talk about the sanctity of this pure game. And I'm here to tell you that it was never pure. This was a devious game from its inception. So all those that are up in arms that, God forbid, the Houston Astros use an electronic monitor to see what the catcher signs were, you're going to see a lot of other stuff unearthed because people want to make a name for themselves whether it's the son of a former baseball player, whether it's uh, the lost son of a former former baseball player, whether it's the niece of a former baseball player, whether it's a former baseball player themselves. And I'm not going to give any credibility to any innuendo that you hear right now because that's all it is. Whenever there's a scandal, people want to make a name for themselves. So it's hard to believe when somebody's like, ah, now I'm going to 
tell you that Tony LaRusso was using a camera in the 1990s. Maybe manipulating signs through the center field camera when he was the manager of the Oakland Athletics. Now I'm going to choose to say that Mike Trout may or may not be taking a human growth hormone for a thyroid condition. It seems pretty convenient right now. And we live in a society that is obsessed with attention. You know why? Because attention sells. Attention gets clicks. Attention gains followers. So why not sell your soul for that attention? But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. The problem I have with Major League Baseball is the game has always been devious. And devious is probably the best state that Major League Baseball has ever been in. But you can talk about how the Astros manipulated their cameras, were wearing buzzers. I have a problem with what they did, absolutely. But let's not make like they took this pure game that was had so much sanctity and took threw it in the garbage. The other part that I've got to continue to harp on is that you have one player from that 2017 Astros team that has lost his job and the rest of the players being shielded by the head of the Players Association, Tony Clark, and by the commissioner, Rob Manfred, you should all be ashamed of yourselves. How can you look Carlos Beltran in the eye again if you're Jose Altuve, if you're Alex Bregman, if you're any one of those players on the 2017 Houston Astros? Well, everybody knows now, so there's no reason to lie about it anymore. Everybody knows that you had a monitor in a clubhouse, a monitor in your dugout, and you were manipulating it to see what the catcher signs were. You were relaying signs to the hitters, whether you were relaying the signs or were a hitter that actually benefited from that, you're all just as guilty. And I'll make the comparison in the 1919 Black Sox for a second, because Kennesaw Mountain Landis may have given a punishment that may have been a little too harsh. He stated that any player that partakes in a meeting to discuss the throwing of a baseball game or a game not being on a level, there's no place in baseball for. And I don't think the Astros player should be banned for life. But I think you need to take every one of those players, and I'll pull it up right here at BaseballReference.com, every one of those players that were on that Houston Astros team of 2017, and I don't care if you were a pitcher. There should be an indefinite suspension. There should be a suspension of a year for every player that was on that team. Now, some players are no longer active. We know about Beltran, who's already taken his punishment. Now, you may want to say, oh, well, it wasn't handed out by Major League Baseball. All right. But there was a reason that Carlos Beltran was the only player that was named in that report. It wasn't because all the other players were goody two-shoes and Carlos Beltran was the one twisting their arm, making them do something they didn't want to do. 
There was more guilt than innocence when it comes to these players. You want to go after Brian McCann because he's not active anymore? Evan Gaddis? And we got to look at Mike Fires for a second because, listen, I, I got to admit that I'm a little bit ambivalent when it comes to Mike Fires because he did speak up and is the reason that this investigation was put out there by Major League Baseball and is the reason that a lot of wrongdoing was found. So in a society where we talk about anonymous reporting, where people don't want to put the name to it, don't want to put their name behind anything, want to say, I'm John Q, anonymous player, basically allowing for a reporter to write another embarrassing story. Mike Fires did something that most players don't do. They had something to say and they put their name behind it. But Mike Fires only spoke up when it benefited the most to him. Only spoke up when he was a member of the Astros rival Oakland Athletics who played in the same division and were competing with the Houston Astros for supremacy in the American League West. It only benefited Mike Fires then. Mike Fires would have earned a ton more respect for me and a lot of other people had he spoke up during the 2017 Houston Astros season. If he had something to say then, sure, he could have been blacklisted from that team. He could have been released. The Astros could have released him out of his contract. It's happened before. There's been a player that has become that much of a distraction, either positively or negatively, either good for baseball, not good for baseball, either telling the truth or not telling the truth. And that player is removed from the roster and the team moves on. If Mike Fires wanted to go full documentary mode, wanted to be that true baseball hero, he would have spoke up in 2017. He chose not to do that. That's his prerogative. He served himself the best. He got his World Series share. He got his World Series ring from the Houston Astros of 2017 who cheated. So he took every last benefit of the cheating and served himself with it. And then a couple of years later when he's playing for the Oakland Athletics, probably because he's pissed off that the Houston Astros didn't want him anymore. They let him go as a free agent. He signed with the Detroit Tigers. He was traded to the Oakland Athletics. The Astros didn't want him anymore. So bitter Mike Fires decides to talk about something that happened a couple of years ago. And like I said, I'm ambivalent about this because when you talk about society where there's so much anonymous reporting that's being done, the media does a terrible job right now. And I'm calling out all writers because the media needs to push for more names to be behind stories. And they've left it as an option. Hey, I'll write this story for you if you don't put your name behind it. But what you don't understand as a reporter, and I don't care how much experience you have, I don't care how good of a writer you are, I don't care what national outlet you write for. 
a story is not a story unless there's a real person in it. And you can say there's a real person in it, but because you're with an agreement with that person to not reveal their name, which is fair, I'm not asking you to go behind somebody's back, say you're not going to reveal their name and reveal their name. That wouldn't be in good taste. I get it. But there needs to be more of a directive coming from the media to require people to put names behind stories. Because as you hear right now, and a lot of it comes, like I said, from sons and nieces and relatives of baseball players, of prominent baseball people that want to make a name for themselves, people are willing to speak up. Jack McDowell is willing to speak up. There's other players in Major League Baseball that if you ask the right people, you'll get the real story. And that story with a player's name on it is so much more powerful than a story that is anonymous. So let me repeat, because a lot of people still don't understand. They look at, oh my God, is baseball ever going to recover from this? There's two things you could say about Major League Baseball. Number one, it is a part of American history. Dates back to the days of the Civil War. When you think of apple pie, you think of baseball. When you think of the blues, you think of baseball. When you think of green grass and freedom, you think of baseball. Like James Earl Jones' character in Field of Dreams, Terrence Mann, the one constant has been baseball. And we tend to enshrine it in our heads to make like there's nothing wrong with baseball. There's a lot wrong with baseball. And there's a lot wrong with America. The country itself has had its ups and downs. Baseball has had its ups and downs. And it's amazing that we tend to look at this game to see make it seem more pure, to say there's so much sanctity in it. But the problem really exists is that this is a devious game from the beginning. Like I said, the hardworking men in the 19th century that were working on a railroad, that were working on construction sites, that were electricians, that were farmers, then they were the outcasts. The people that didn't want to work, the people that didn't want to work on a railroad, didn't want to work on construction sites, did not want to be electricians and did not want to work on the farm. They decided they were going to go grab their tub of liquor, go on a baseball field and play this game. The game was started by deviants. The game was started by people that in some cases were borderline criminals, and some of them were. Terry Larkin killed the man. You didn't, you have a game that wasn't started with the best of people. Gamblers controlled the game for 50 years. So how is that pure? 
as we hit what we'll call a halfway point here at a pass ball show. Reminder brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Baseball, unfortunately, is not that perfect game that we make it out to be. Racism, 70 to 80 years where we refuse to allow blacks to play the same game as whites. A commissioner, and the great Monty Irvin told me this, and I, you know, may God rest his soul. Great, great man, Monty Irvin was. And he said this to me, he said, there was a connection between the Black Sox scandal and the time that was spent between that and Jackie Robinson making his major league debut. If it wasn't for the Black Sox scandal, Kennesaw Mountain Landis would not have been the commissioner of Major League Baseball. He would not have been brought in as an independent arbiter to look out for, quote-unquote, the best interest in the game. And Kennesaw Mountain Landis was the most devout racist that you can ever compare somebody to. And he kept blacks out of baseball. And he also had a lifetime contract. So Kennesaw Mountain Landis was not going to allow blacks to be in baseball until the day he died. And that was 1944. And he was adamant about it. There was nothing that was ever going to happen that was going to change his mind. He hated black people. He was a racist. And if it wasn't for the Black Sox scandal of 1919 and the need for Major League Baseball to bring in a judge, an independent arbiter, to oversee the best interest of his sport, blacks probably would have been playing in Major League Baseball long before Jackie Robinson in 1947. Next aspect I want to talk about. Carlos Beltran let go by the Mets. I think as you get to sit on it for a couple days, you start to say, all right, I mean, the punishment probably fits the crime. Whether it's the Mets, whether it's any other team, you say they're probably best off distancing themselves from this potential distraction. Now, the Mets, had they stood by Beltran, I wouldn't have had a problem with. And as I mentioned on the show the other day, I'm not trying to exonerate Carlos Beltran. I'm not trying to make Carlos Beltran as if he didn't do anything wrong. I just don't like to see one particular person involved, whether it's a player, whether it's a coach, take the hit for every single other person that was involved. And that's what bothers me about this. The fact that Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and George Springer and every other player that was involved with that cheating scandal, whether they were wearing buzzers, whether they were signaling with their hands, whether they were using trash cans, everybody that was involved in this needs to be held accountable. Pretty similar to the eight-man out in 1919 with the Black Sox. Kennesaw Mountain Landis made sure that he punished even the most mundane people that were involved in the operation. 
And I've never been one to call for that quote unquote blood. I've never been one to call out and say, hey, more people need to go down for this. But in this situation, it's only fair. It wasn't fair that Alex Rodriguez got a year-long suspension from Major League Baseball for steroids when there wasn't even a policy in place to say that there was a one-year suspension. He took the hit to make Bud Selig look good. Pretty similar to the way Carlos Beltran is taking a hit to make Commissioner Manfred look good. Yet there's going to be players on the Houston Astros They're going to have to look themselves in the mirror. How do you talk to Carlos Beltran again after you just said, hey, because you're not an active player anymore, you're going to take the hit for all of us. It's kind of embarrassing. But I was thinking about Carlos Beltran's Hall of Fame candidacy, and I think this is something that does have to be brought up because the Monday show will probably talk about the Super Bowl. We'll probably talk about the 49ers and the Chiefs. As we're getting ready for the next Super Bowl. Wednesday, which today is the 18th, 19th, 20th, will be after the announcement of the Baseball Hall of Fame. So we'll probably find out that Derek Jeter will probably be the second player in Major League Baseball history to get 100% of the vote. I'll elaborate on my thoughts on you know the 100% and the vote, the history of the vote, on Wednesday. But Carlos Beltran is probably a borderline Hall of Fame candidate. I would say borderline in, based off of his stats and his accomplishments over the course of his Major League Baseball career. And the statement could be made that since Carlos Beltran, quote-unquote, cheated, he shouldn't be allowed in Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. And I'm sure there are going to be some writers that are going to take that stance against him. And I think it's going to be the 22-23 offseason when Carlos Beltran is first eligible for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Still three full years away. A lot of time is going to go between then and now. And who knows? Maybe Barry Bonds is in like he deserves to be. Maybe Pete Rose is in like he deserves to be. A lot could happen between now and three years. But I thought of three players in Major League Baseball history that are in its Hall of Fame that had an incident tarnish what happened over the course of their career. And the first player that I think of is Juan Marichal. And Juan Marichal had a great career. There's no question he was one of the best pitchers of his generation. There is no question that Juan Marichal, the baseball pitcher, belongs in baseball's Hall of Fame. But there was an incident with him and the Brooklyn Dodgers where he hit catcher Johnny Roseboro over the head with a baseball bat. One of the more disgusting moments in baseball history. One of the more embarrassing moments in baseball history. And the Baseball Writers Association of America, I think rightly so, held that against him for one year. The first year... He didn't get anywhere near enough votes for baseball's Hall of Fame. Second year, he got in. Fergie Jenkins, great pitcher. 
one of the best pitchers of his generation. And I look at a picture of Fergie. It's on my wall right across from me. Very, very nice man. Great ambassador to the game. Certainly one of the best baseball players in the history of the country of Canada. Canadian born. Had an incident in the early 1980s where he was, he had some cocaine on him in his possession at an airport during a, a stop. Was held accountable for it. Baseball writers took note and didn't induct him into Baseball Hall of Fame his first year he was eligible. Second year, he got in no problem. Roberto Alomar. There's no question Roberto Alomar is a Hall of Famer. How many second basemen in the history of Major League Baseball are even on the same stratosphere as Roberto Alomar? There's Joe Morgan. There's Eddie Collins. There's Rogers Hornsby. Not even throw Charlie Geringer in there. But outside of that, Roberto Alomar's right smack in the middle. You can make the case he's still the best second baseman ever play in Major League Baseball history. He spits in the face of umpire Mark Hirschbeck. Nobody's going to dispute Roberto Alomar's Hall of Fame candidacy. He's held out that first year. Next year, all is forgiven. I think that's the same thing that's going to happen to Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran, and listen, maybe he has to wait another year or an extra year, a year more or two years, because his Hall of Fame candidacy is not so cut and dry. You're talking about a guy with 2,700 hits. He was certainly a premier defensive center fielder. And I think you do got to give him some credit because, you know, in a day and age that we live in right now, defense is valued a lot more than it ever was. And this is a guy who won the gold glove a handful of times in his Major League Baseball career. I think, what, three gold gloves? Am I right? Several all-star selections, 400 home runs, was a dominant, dominant player. And regardless of what, what any asinine Mets fan will tell you, he was a tremendous postseason player. Not just with 2004 with the Astros, but his years with the Cardinals, and even that postseason with the New York Mets up until that point where he took that curveball by Adam Wainwright for strike three. He had over 300 in his career in the playoffs. He had over a 1,000 OPS in over seven years and 15 series in the postseason. I say he's a Hall of Famer. It's gonna, he's going to be taking a little more heat now for being involved in this scandal, but not enough heat to keep him blacklisted from its Hall of Fame. And I think a guy like Carlos Beltran maybe becomes a trailblazer for some of those others that have made mistakes over the course of their Major League Baseball careers. And once again, the biggest hypocrisy in the world is the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame has a picture of what they envision baseball is as being pure, as containing this sanctity, 
And none of it's true. Not even a little bit. You think of the inception of baseball from the players that it attracted to the gamblers that oversaw the game, to the racism that infiltrated the game until the death of its hero commissioner. Spitballs. Any sort of gamesmanship to gain an advantage over a competition. Defeat your competitor at all costs. Put stuff in your body, whether it's amphetamines, cocaine, steroids, anything to enhance your performance. This game's not so pure. Oh my God, the Astros cheated. The sad thing about it, it's probably not the tip of the iceberg. It's probably not the end of the story. We'll find out that other teams cheated, probably starting with the 2018 Red Sox. And then more people are going to speak out. Major League Baseball, the players and their sons and nieces are all going to want to speak out. They're going to make all types of crazy and absurd accusations. Some of them will be substantiated. Most of them won't be. But you're going to find out there's a lot more villains in this sport than heroes. And I think at some point, you're going to start to judge the sport as a whole for being what it really is. There's no rocket scientists out there or blessed with a medical doctor ability that says, hey, I'd rather go play baseball. Baseball players, for the most part, and history will prove this, so this isn't me slurring the whole sport. Baseball players aren't the most educated players in all sports. They're not the most educated people amongst workers. Somebody could twist their arm and convince them to cheat. I'm sure they could come up with ways to cheat on their own. I wanted to get off of baseball for a second because I, I promised the other day I'd give a couple minutes about uh, Odell Beckham. Obviously, the LSU alum, happy, overjoyed that the LSU Tigers beat the Clemson Tigers in national championship game in college football. When you think of the Tigers against the Tigers, it's like the Giants against the Giants in the old Negro Leagues in Major League Baseball. Every team is called the Giants. Well, in this particular instance, you got the two teams that are both called the Tigers. LSU wins. Odell Beckham basically making it rain with his wad of cash he had in his pocket. Now, if you're a player on the other side and you take that money, you're going to get judged for it. Certainly going to get sanctions by the NCAA. Because the NCAA cares about one thing. They care about generating revenue for themselves, for the universities, for the NCAA itself. 
which by the way, if it wasn't for the football and basketball players, not all athletes, but particularly football and basketball players, the NCAA wouldn't even have a revenue stream. So I have no respect for the NCAA. I understand that kids are in college to receive an education. But the football and the basketball players are bringing revenue to the sport and to, to the colleges, to the sport, to the colleges themselves. And if it wasn't for those players, those universities would not receive that money. The NCAA would not receive that money. So be only fair to share something with those players that generate that revenue. And you can say what you want about Odell Beckham. He does some crazy things. He says some crazy things. He is, as a player, has proven to be a distraction to both the New York football giants and the Cleveland Browns. He may or may not be a good guy. But I love the fact that he took a lot of cash and started spreading it around, making it rain on the field after the national championship game. Those players should receive some sort of payment. The school's receiving a lot of money. The NCAA is receiving a lot of money. And it's all because of those players. At some point, there's got to be a way to figure it out to spread that money out amongst everybody. Even if it is select players. I always make the reference of the Chris Webber number four Michigan jersey. That was the best-selling jersey in the country for about a solid year. It was a college basketball jersey. Chris Webber, Chris Webber, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm losing my ability to talk. Chris Webber was not entitled to any profits that came off the sale of that jersey. Though that number four Michigan jersey was the highest-selling jersey amongst anyone in the country for any sport at that time. He deserved some sort of payoff. Some sort of royalty to the fact that his name was being used to be profited by Nike, but profited by Reebok, profit from Michigan, profit from the NCAA, and nothing went to Chris Webber. A little bit of a recap of the show today, and as always, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with you Monday around the same time, same damn channel on YouTube, on iTunes, Google Play. Don't forget, One Minute Bites on Instagram. Screw Facebook. Screw Twitter. Baseball, since its inception, has been controlled by deviant minds, deviant athletes, borderline criminals in the 19th century that started baseball. Yet we like to focus on the sanctity and the pureness of baseball from its inception, a game controlled by the gamblers for 50 years. A game controlled by racism 
outlaw of blacks from 1884 to 1947. Spitball, gamesmanship, amphetamines, cocaine, steroids, all types of cheating scandals have been part of baseball for 150 years. Stop calling it pure. Stop talking about the sanctity of baseball. And there isn't any bigger hypocrisy out there than the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's a ruse. It's a cunning attempt to trick you. The Baseball Hall of Fame is about something that baseball never was. So please, understand that. Talked about Carlos Beltran and his Hall of Fame candidacy. And I compare him more to Juan Marichal, to Fergie Jenkins, to Roberto Alomar. Players that made mistakes that were noted, but didn't take away from how great of players they were. Pete Rose, where does he rank in all this? 4,256 hits. Every one of them was earned. Every one of them was legitimate. Nobody won more games as a player. Nobody played in more games as a player. Nobody had more plate appearances, at-bats, hits, or singles in the history of Major League Baseball than P. Rose. And I don't care if he bet on the Reds to lose every game as manager. That has nothing to do with anything that he did on the field in the 23 years he played in Major League Baseball. We'll be back with you Monday. Enjoy your NFL Championship Sunday. Get ready for the Chiefs and 49ers in the next Super Bowl. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.